0: Hello. Wow, it's really, uh, it's really crazy, surreal, beautiful to be here. Um, if, uh, let me introduce myself, so as I shared and teach today, there's some context, a little bit of context, so you might, so you don't get lost. Um, I, uh, I, my wife and I, um, Ashley Lomas, she's right there, um, we used to live here from 2007 and 2009, went to this church. where church planners out of this place to Reality San Francisco, where we where we are there now. We um, moved there with Ash and I and Tarek and Erica, which are right there, um, El Ansari, to start Reality San Francisco. Sent out from this place, sent out from right here um, to, to San Francisco, where God is doing, continues to do in, like crazy, insane stuff through our church that we all like. We all, when we all left, we kind of shrugged. We're like, "We'll see if it works. We don't know if it's going to work." Um, but we started coming here in two two thousand and three. Um, when the who was there then? When the when the church, the stage was over there, and there was like um, corrugated metal just leaning up against the 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 side of the walls that you can cut yourself on, that can fall on children and stuff like that. Um, yeah, we started coming here. Then we used to live in Bakersfield, and we would, we would vacation in Carpinteria, and um, just and show up to worship. Um, and we were sitting. Brit made us sit right here. Ash and I were sitting right here um, in 2007 when we came here on a Sunday, and uh, I, God, God had put on our hearts to plant a church, and we didn't know how or when. And um, He just, I just heard God say, "Talk to Britt. and then I chickened out. And I didn't want to talk to him. And then uh, we were staying here in CARP. And I was like, we're not going to church. And then I uh, saw that it was um, college camp. And I knew Britt never missed college camp. So I'm like, Britt won't even be here. So let's go to church. So we go to church. And we were sat right here. And back in the day, there used to be these hydrangeas that were like this tall. You guys remember those? Like the hugest, you couldn't even see anyone on the stage. But you can see Britt's faux hawk. Back here, same place, playing guitar, just like this, just like his, head, his little hawk. remember this? and Ash' is like brit's here, I'm like, "Oh crap, and the rest is history, because he walked up to us and'm like, what are you doing here and i 'm like i, I don 't know, and Britt's like, "Do you want to plan a church and it, the, the, seriously the rest it happened like that, it was just really strange and it, and the rest is the rest is history, so we moved here and we're here, so just so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a lot about this place and what this place means to me and what it means to you and what God might be doing in the midst of this move um, as you move out of this building. And as I talk about this stuff, I wanted you to know some context that I, I, have, I have. I come deeply shaped by this place and by you. Um, when I was here, I had a lot more hair. So if you're like, what? I don't know. Remember you. A lot more hair. A lot more. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, um, we're going to be, I'm going to read verses uh, 19 through 22. And what I've always appreciated about this church, that this is a Bible church. So I'm sure that you know the the context of Ephesians 2, of, of Paul reminding the Gentile church, who were the non-Jewish church in Ephesus, that they were brought in to the life of God through Jesus, that they were dead in their sins and their trespasses, but God in his great mercy brings us in. And then it kind of culminates in verse 19 when Paul says this, and I'll read it, and then I'm just going to pray for our time. Verse 19, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord, would you um, anoint me as I communicate the scriptures in your word, and would you give us hearts to receive? Um, What we are not, Lord, right now, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us, Lord? We need you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is like a real, real honor to be here. I'm really thankful for Pastor Adam for the invitation. He called me and and asked me to come and and speak, and I was like thrilled. I usually don't say yes to speaking in July. I usually take July off, but I really, really wanted to be here. Um, And today will be very cathartic for me, having the opportunity to have my kids in this place. I was standing right there where uh, I would often stand with Britt as we were trying to get out all the, like, nervous energy before coming up on stage. And I see my family walking in, my four-year-old and my 18-month-old kind of walk in the building and had this, like, surreal moment of, like, my kids are here. And when he called, it was something that Tarek and I were talking about, bringing our kids here, because we met, I met Tarek here. I met Tarek right there in a prayer team uh, when I went up for prayer one Sunday. And, um, and I want our kids to be in this place. I want our kids to know this is where God called us into San Francisco. So having the opportunity to have my kids here, the place where Ash and I were called to San Francisco, where our, our, like our whole journey started. So today, in a sense, feels like coming home. And I use that word carefully and unambiguously. This place feels like home to me. And I know it feels like home to you. And yet, you're having to say goodbye to your home. Saying goodbye to the physical place many of you came to faith in, had breakthrough in your life with God here in this building, maybe on these very carpets, the place where freedom from your past happened or times with God that have marked you and your identity, all here. Or, like Ash and I, maybe you were called into ministry in, from this very place to like an adventure of a lifetime. But there also might be this feeling of being torn, I mean, are you allowed to be sad about leaving a church building when we know theologically the place of God's presence in the world is no longer a building? It's no longer a temple in the strict sense. Meaning the church is not a physical building as much as it's the people of God who make up the temple of God now, according to our text. I mean, we're sad, but should we be? Are we allowed to be sad? Theologically, are we allowed to be sad? See, the primary activity of God in the world today, what Jesus, what Jesus calls his church, the primary activity of God today is not a building. But here's the thing it used to be. The primary activity of God in the world used to be a building, it used to be a, a place, it used to be the temple. And because it used to be, and because it will be in the future, you know that, that the, the center of God's present, future activity will be a place, right? The New Jerusalem? It will be a physical place. It used to be a place, the temple, and it will be a place, the New Jerusalem, but today we live in this strange overlap where it's not a place or a building that, at all, and yet the only reason why the church can be a spiritual temple today, the only reason why this has any meaning at all is because of what it was and what it used to be. Does that make sense? We only derive meaning that this is a temple because because God's activity used to be a place and it will be a place. The only reason we can say the church is not a building in a strict sense is because it used to be one and it will be one again. And yet what I want to talk to you about today is how place still means something and why. And why leaving a place, a home, hurts so bad. And it does. And it's, and it's good to acknowledge and mourn. And it's very healthy to acknowledge and mourn that it's sad. But I also want to talk about what this passage does to the pain we feel by teaching us that we are the people of God. And thus we're the real temple of God. And I want to talk about the invitation in, in, in all that. That's kind of what I want to do today. So first, I want to talk about place. According to our passage, when you zoom way out, everyone kind of look look down at your Bibles. When you zoom way out on chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about how Gentiles, that is non-Jews, are brought into the promises of God and thus have access to salvation in Christ, the kingdom of God, and all the riches found therein. This is all chapter two stuff. So if you're looking and glancing at chapter two, which I'm sure you've studied before, this is all chapter two stuff. But Paul is also talking about how, as Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, are brought into both the life and the story of Israel. You are now part of the household of God. Now you you have to, this is you can't miss this part. This is Actually, a very, very important part that you can't miss. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not not outside, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. We who are non-Jews are brought into the household of Israel. And what this means is, consequently, their story in history becomes our story in history. The reason why we can apply and read and understand the Old Testament, because that story is now, because we're brought into the household of faith, that story is now our story. And the reason why this is important today, and the reason why I want to point out this point today, is because the story of Israel is a story of place. The story of Israel is a story of place. The people of God are a people whose identity had been and has been shaped by place. See, one way to read and understand the Bible is like this. The Bible primarily, the Bible is primarily concerned with the problem of being displaced, placed, and longing for a place. That's one way you can read the Bible. People being displaced, placed, and then longing again for a place. It's, the Bible is the humans moving through the world longing for a place. It's like our humanness is always looking for historical placement on this earth. Or in other words, we long to belong. We want to belong to a history. We deeply desire to have our lives and our identities shaped by our roots. See, we can talk all we want about independence, being upwardly mobile, able to live where we want to live now as Americans. But what the human heart actually desires in all our independent pursuits is just a place to call home. One theologian reflecting on the work of the modern sociologist Peter Berger says this, quote, it is rootlessness and not meaninglessness that characterizes our current crisis because there are no meanings apart from roots. And such rootage is is a primary concern of Israel and a central promise of God to his people. Which is why, Land, like the land, literal, the literal land and the symbolic land, because it's used both in the Bible, is a central, if not the central theme of biblical faith. Because home and roots and place matter so much. Land in the Bible, do you know how much the Bible talks about land? Land is the central theme of biblical faith. The Bible is basically a story of people looking for land. If you want to, what is the Bible? The Bible is a story of people looking for land, for a place to call home in this wild, crazy world, for roots. And this didn't just start when Abraham was called to leave his nation to a place that God would call him later. It started when humanity was created in and for a place. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that God created the Garden of Eden, and placed man and woman in it to work it and to keep it. And from there, God walked with them in the cool of the day in Eden, a place. And the Bible is very specific where this place is because it talks about rivers and its location. It's like, this is a place. And this is where God was with his people, and they were called to be there. And all of their lives, what gave Kind of proto-humans' identity, purpose, and meeting was meaning was Eden. It's where they met with God and lived out their vocations. From Genesis 2, place and humans would be forever intertwined, which makes Genesis 3 so upsetting, so disturbing, because Adam and Eve were exiled, thrown out of their home. Due to their rebellion and distrust, and ever since, the existential burden we all feel ultimately is a longing for home. This is what we all want. We deeply long for place in this world, home in this world. Okay, I, I want to pause here before I get too meta. You're like, whoa, you're like getting, I, before I get too meta, I just want to make my point very explicitly, as explicitly as I can. Place matters. Place matters. Physicality and place matter. They matter to our faith. They matter to our humanness, how God made us. Place matters to our history and to our future. And because of that, this place, 5251 6th Street, Carpinteria, California, 93013, this place matters which is why it's so hard to say goodbye to this place. If you found it hard to even think about saying goodbye to this place or you found it hard to say goodbye to this place, that's why your humanness, our humanity clings to places because we were made from a place and for a place. It's so hard to leave a place that has shaped you and that gives you a sense of identity. And the reason for that is because we humans were made from the earth and for its flourishing, we were made by God to be shaped by the places that we live. Place shapes our identity. Has anyone ever seen Carpool Karaoke by James Corden? Anyone? Carpool Karaoke James Corden? It's a very, very popular thing on his show, but his show comes out on at like 1 in the morning, so everyone catches it on YouTube the next day. There's, a, there's like millions and millions of hits on, this, on these videos. Well, James Corden finally got to do Carpool Karaoke, where he, he grabs like a, a famous, usually musical artist, and sings their music in the car with them, karaoke, and then interviews them as they're, and talks about the songs and stuff. It's really, really cool and clever. Well, he recently finally got to do it with Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney. And the background is this. This is Paul McCartney's childhood home. The background is this. He t- asked Paul, I'm going to drive you around, but I want to stop at your childhood home in, in Liverpool. And Paul was like, I don't want to go there. There's too many memories. It's too painful to go back there. And so James like, oh, oh, let's just, tr- just tr- well, I'll pull up to it. We can look outside. If you want to go in, you, you nod and let me know if you want to go in. So if you watch the video, they pull up and like, do you want to go in? And Paul's like, let's go in. And they go inside. And and what what's going on here is they go, there's a sense that, the, the walls that in, were in this like small little flat is what shaped Paul and even John Lennon as they were writing music. Like, oh, we wrote this song in this room. We wrote She Loves You, Yeah, right here on this piano. And then we walked into this room right here where my dad was, and we would sing like, Dad, this is the song, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And the only feedback my dad had was, can it be She Loves You, Yes, Yes, Yes? <laughs> so proper, you know? So yeah, 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 don't talk like that. Yes, yes, yes. That was like the only bit of feedback dad had. And obviously they didn't use it. So the, everything in this was, and he goes into this little bathroom, was, this bathroom has the best acoustics, and he's singing the songs. And you can tell, like, this, this place shaped his identity. It shaped the songs and the music and all of that. Now, I can't say it better than, than uh, theologian, the theologian um, uh, Walter Brueggemann. So I'll just quote Brueggemann. He says this, quote, Place is space that has historical meanings, where some things have happened that are now remembered and that provide continuity and identity across generations. Place is space in which important words have been spoken that have established identity, defined vocation, and envisioned destiny. Place is space in which vows have been exchanged, promises have been made, and demands have been issued. Place is indeed a protest against the unpromising pursuit of space. It is a declaration that our humanness cannot be found in escape, detachment, absence of commitment, and undefined freedom. Brueggemann is talking both about Israel and us. See, this place will always have historical meaning for the whole reality family us in San Francisco, London, Honolulu, Stockton, L.A., Boston. I mean, all of them. Did I miss one? I did. I probably... Oh, carbonary Ventura. I consider that still part of this, but whatever. It's fine. I know it's not. It was when I was here. Back in the day. Um, this place will always have historical meaning for the whole reality family. This place where things have happened that are now remembered that provide continuity and identity across the different generations of reality churches. The prayer meetings that ha- that took place every early every Tuesday morning in that corner over there before that little wall was built. We just huddle up right there and pray every Tuesday morning for the churches, this church, the reality church plants, worship nights, Callings, stirrings, repentance, songs, missionaries called out of this place, sent all over the world, church planners spoken to, people healed, all right here. A place where vows have been exchanged. I remember one Sunday morning um, sitting right right there, like the fifth row, right, right over there. And um, that, that was the morning that the, that, uh, the church, the, they did an Israel trip. And what they would do is Britt would teach on, like, uh, the Sea of Galilee or something. They would, like, overnight FedEx a DVD to the church, and then we'd watch it. Like, they were there yesterday, and here's a DVD. This is before, obviously before the Internet. Um, so you can stream or whatever. Um, so they would, like, literally overnight FedEx a DVD. So I remember watching and sitting right there and Britt teaching on the Sea of Galilee on um, Peter and Peter walking on water. He's in a boat, and he's teaching about this story. And the thing that stood out to me is, Britt said, um, Peter asked for that. He wanted to walk on water. He said, Lord, if you allow me, I would love to come walk on water. Bid me come, Lord. And I remember being there and hearing, right in that seat, I I heard Jesus ask, "What, what do you want? What, what, what would you ask for me that's, like, audacious, crazy? And I remember I said, I want San Francisco. And the thing is, that was the first time I actually said it out loud. Before that, I just felt called there. I felt like God was calling me there. But this was the first time that calling became something for me that I was like, I want that. God, I want that. And at that moment, in that chair right over there, is where I spoke... The, like a vow, there was an exchange of vows, a commitment I said to God, a promise that I made, that I'll go. Even though the risk and the cost is high, I'll go. This is what place does to shape us. Now, you might think, well, couldn't, have, couldn't you have been anywhere when God said that to you? Couldn't you have been anywhere? No. Because humans don't live just anywhere. They live in time and space and locations mark their lives. This is why there are so many names of places and towns and mountains and rivers and seas in the Bible. Why are there always so much location in the Bible? Because it happened here and not there. It happened right here and not over there. This place matters. We are humans that God created from the earth and place matters. And the thousands of things have happened right here in this building and not across the street, right here. And we can't just move on without acknowledging how much this place has given us identity. The whole reality family, it's identity. And it's okay to acknowledge because God's people have always been shaped by place. Now you may be thinking, Well, if all this is true, how in the world can we move? How can you ever move from your childhood home or our places or your roots? How do you ever leave anything? The place that has shaped you or given you identity, how do you ever leave? Well, yes, place matters. But the church for 2,000 years has been a movement on the move. The church has met in catacombs In bars, in cathedrals, in nightclubs, in homes, in converted lemon packaging warehouses. That's what this was. And it will continue to do so over and over and over again. Old church buildings will be torn down. Maybe one day this building will be torn down. New ones will be built. Maybe one day you will build a building in in Carpinteria. But the building project that is the church will go on. How? Well, look at verse 20. Because the church is, look at verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone in ancient buildings were not ceremonial like a a plaque with your name on it or something. Cornerstones in ancient buildings were the primary load-bearing stones that determined the lines of the building. Cornerstones found in and around ancient Israel weigh as much as 570 tons. You're like, okay, so what? Well, due to the architectural importance of a cornerstone in the ancient ancient world, this image of a cornerstone became what the prophets said the Messiah would be for Israel. And this is important because Israel would be in and out of land. They would be in the land and then out of the land. They'd be in the land and then occupied from someone else, or in, out of the land and having to make, they, they, ha, they would have buildings that would be destroyed. They would have the temple that would be destroyed. And so the prophet said, well, there is, this is really important, there is a cornerstone. See, if place is important and place, and that place was destroyed, what hope would there be? This is what Israel's problem was. What hope is there if the place that God has given us is destroyed? What security would there be if the thing they built was gone? Isaiah 28. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What Isaiah is saying is that you can cling to this part of the building when all seems lost because the cornerstone isn't going anywhere. The whole building can be leveled, but the cornerstone will remain. And not just that, because the cornerstone is there and because the cornerstone will be there and because the chief cornerstone is the load-bearing stone, and because the cornerstone is the stone that determined the lines of the building, what this means is that you can always rebuild. You can always rebuild around the chief cornerstone. You know where the lines are because he is the line. He's the plumb line. You can build on him because he is the centerpiece or he's the corner piece that you can build a, a whole new foundation on, if you needed to build a whole new foundation. Because Jesus makes the whole building project of the church possible, including the rest of the foundation. You can build, rebuild upon Jesus. And this is how the church can keep building and rebuilding. This is how the church can move into smaller spaces, can move to Zoom. Remember when we were doing Zoom for a while? Well, how how in the world could you do that? Well, because Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and you can rebuild around that over and over and over again. You could move to bigger spaces, smaller spaces, no spaces, because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So, Reality Carpinteria, you're leaving this building, the place that you all built into a physically beautiful space and a spiritually beautiful space. But you will leave with the cornerstone, You will leave with the cornerstone of this building so that you can rebuild around him again. This is how the church keeps enduring, which brings me to what I believe is the most important part of all of this. And the whole thing this chapter is built around. This is Paul's therefore, and whenever there's a therefore, that's the thing he's building around. Therefore, remember. Look at at chapter 2 again. Look at verses 11 and 12. Go up in your Bible to verses 11 and 12. This is the therefore. Paul is building his entire, his entire premise around this. Remember, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who were called the circumcision. Remember, verse 12, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, he's telling you to remember. Remember who you were. Remember what God has done to bring you in. Remember, which is very Jewish of Paul to do, by the way, because we're told the sin of Israel over and over again in the Old Testament was that they forgot. They forgot what God did. They forgot what God required. They forgot his works. They forgot his power. They forgot his presence. And over and over again, the prophets would say, remember, remember, remember. Do everything you can to remember what God has done. And why? Why remember? Because remembering is the way we name and process the past, and the way we structure our minds to know how to live in the future. You know how this works if you've ever seen the classic Adam Sandler movie, Fifty First First Dates, with Drew Barrymore? Have You ever seen that movie? Drew Barrymore's character can't remember anything in her adult life due to an accident. Because she can't remember, she's stuck. She can't move forward. She relives one day over and over and over again. She can't move beyond that because she can't remember, and because she can't remember, she can't learn. Maybe there's, there's, there's a warning in this text for you as well. Here's the warning. If you don't remember what God did in this building, you'll never learn. And if you never learn, you're going to get stuck. It's really important to remember. It's really important to remember God's past faithfulness to you in this building to allow that to reframe your future and where you're going next. You won't be able to move forward into God's future for you unless you remember. The key that unlocks all of this is remembering. Remember that Jesus did all of this, that it wasn't about a brand, it wasn't a person, it wasn't even a building. Ultimately, it was Jesus Christ Himself building His church through all of those things, using all those things in all of these moments. Remember that this building was just a lemon packaging warehouse that God filled. And if He could fill this building, He could fill the next one. Remember the vows that you made in this building. Remember the promises you made, the commitments and the acts of obedience and carry them with you into the next place. I remember. I will keep remembering. Every single time I'm in this city, I I remember the commitments that I made to God. And this active remembering will lead you to prayer and awareness of God's presence that has been with you and will follow you. And so as we close... What I would love to do during the second set of worship is I'd like us to, as we worship, to just recall. Recall the promises that you've made to God in this building. Recall the ways that God has shaped you in this place. Recall it and begin to remember it and recount it in your mind. And as you do, let that set a trajectory for your future hope and what God is leading you to next. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this place this, like, physical space. Thank you for what you've done through it and in the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And as, Lord, we're looking to the future and we're praying that you would open up doors for the next place, where you will once again shape and reshape this church, we want to remember, remember your faithfulness, and may that fill our courage, fill us with stamina and energy and and even some expectation of what you might be up to and so we look to you now, Lord, through worship through receiving communion through kneeling, and we ask that you, Lord, would do it again. Do it again, Lord. What you did in this place, do it again in the next place that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.